He won Journalist of the Year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's National Review Online's Jim Garrett. How do you like me now? She's a front-page contributor to Red State and a broadcast professional who calls life the way she sees it. Yeah! Crank up the radio! Very interesting! She's Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by Acme Political Correctness Insurance. For all your fears of having your career destroyed by an online mob of social justice warriors... Yes, we live in an era where your entire life can be ruined over one bad joke, one misinterpreted comment, one off-the-cuff remark, or just one moment of losing your cool. That's why you need political correctness insurance. To cover the damages to your career and reputation, just for running afoul of some underemployed 20-something grievance monger who declared you public enemy number one just for offending him. Or her. Or Hicks. Or whatever they, gender they prefer to describe themselves as Acme Political Correctness Insurance. Let our reasonable rates give you peace of mind when the thought police are knocking at your door. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White, and welcome to a hopefully cheerier edition of the Jim and Mickey Show. Mickey, I can't think of a cheerier note to begin with than the fact that last week we talked about whether Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, could someday enter politics. And in fact, this week he declares, yes, he is thinking of it's a real possibility someday he could run for president. I, I, you know, I, and again, I would say this to our listeners and to to you and to Dave, and I'll vote for him. There you go. Like I don't really need to hear his platform. I, I, I've gotten to the point now where I realize that our politics is really just the uglier version of Hollywood. Um, and now, if we're going to be bringing in more attractive people, I'm in. Yeah. By the way, listeners should know our next segment will be about uh, the ignorant American voter and how celebrity works. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help but think, Except didn't this story already play out? Didn't Arnold Schwarzenegger already do this? And we all know what happened. Still, we want to do it again. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but Arnold wasn't born here. That's true, but he he got yeah, as he high got as he could get. Rock can. <laughs> and then once The Rock is president, we will officially be living in idiocracy. Yeah, talk about the President's Council on Physical Fitness. If you can't bench 300 pounds, you lose your citizenship. <laughs> <laughs> Start lifting, everybody. Now, I just want to observe, uh, this may entirely uh, come back to, uh, look, this has been bur- you know, murmuring and talking, and people saying, oh, wouldn't it be great if you ran for, for quite a while? I'm going to take everyone back to August 2016. Friend of the program, Mary Catherine Hamm, said, hey, can we get The Rock on the debate stage? If it's going to be WrestleMania, can we get The Rock on stage so I can vote for him and be done with it? And that was that tiny pebble that started this avalanche. You have a pretty unbelievable memory, but considering it's MK Ham, I understand. Now, I understand that you actually went and saw Guardians of the Galaxy since we last talked. I did, and uh, it definitely lives up to the hype. I have not taken the boys to it because uh, I know it'll go straight from the theater and the shopping mall to the Disney store to get the little I Am Groot doll. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, I, the only now, thing- you're one of the parents, though, that you actually do like to screen these before you take your kids. You realize you're one of like four, right? Yeah. No, I, I've, I, I don't think I've – you hear about this all the time. Ah, oh, why were the kids in the audience for this – Rated R show. No, you should not take your kids to see Deadpool. What are kids doing in the audience for Fifty Shades Darker? You know, all that kind of stuff. And um, you, you, the only thing you could observe is Guardians is, anything is Guardians PG thirteen. 
Yeah, and what I'm worried about is there's a scene where the the space pirates are mean to Baby Groot, and I think that could upset my little guy. It's pretty um, scary. I saw it uh, two days ago. It's scary. Right. I mean, like just just the, there's you know it, it's 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 the thing is that it's not so much. Um, uh, that many grown-up themes, and in fact, some would argue it's got some, quite a few juvenile themes. Um, but the <laughs> idea of the, the the both visual intensity and maybe emotional intensity. They, yeah, it's like yeah, bullying. It's a like a kids. kid reliving being bullied in school. That one scene with little group, but it shouldn't let you stop yeah. your kids from going. You should just make sure you're taking care of them during that scene. You got it exactly, Dave. But it's a a lot of these things. I'm okay if I'm watching it with them, and I can kind of you know talk them through it or if anything is bothering them or anything like that. Or is this just an excuse for you to see the movie twice? Oh, that's, you know, well, the problem is when I go and I see it and I don't like it and they still want to see it. (laughs) You know, like I, like I wouldn't take them to see Batman versus Superman. And how did you handle that? Um, they wanted to see it and I just waited for them to forget about it. (laughs) It didn't take that long because, and after a while, when they're old enough, we'll have to talk about Zack Snyder and his excessive use of slow motion. (laughs) (laughs) Like, and how it felt like the entire movie was filmed in slow motion um, and how in the DC movie universe no one ever turns on the lights um, when, I, when they talk about this is a dark world I mean literally it's a dark world no one actually turns on the lights in any of the sets that's um, right after this talk that both of them get hired at National Review right? <laughs> no there's no nepotism here um, <laughs> well that, that leads me I guess kind of into the, the next thing I wanted to discuss because the new trailer for Cars 3 is out um, and that theoretically is a children's movie yeah, except... However, the themes that we're seeing coming out of it seem to be a little troubling. It is. Now, from, from the first Cars movie, everybody's always said, oh, this is a cute, lovable Pixar idea. But it kind of has gone into some strange... Direct, this idea of, like, okay, so how... So we have a world of cars in which cars elect people and cars drive around and stuff, but there's no people with, inside the cars, as far as we can tell. And they don't have hands. And so how do they do things how do they you know like how, how where do they come from were there people once and this is a future of you know, people have kind of asked this and this this new one revolves around the the main character lightning mcqueen well he's getting old and there's some younger better with high, more high technology race car that's better than him so uh, uh, uh lightning mcqueen is trying to improve himself and so everybody's kind of left left, left scratching their heads where did the cars come from does a mommy car and a daddy car get together and, and like make little baby cars? How how you know like what does this all this stuff kind of work from? And it gets even worse because one of the first movies I took uh, my younger guy to was Disney's awful spinoff Planes, which uh. made actual references to World War II, including flashbacks of planes flying and dying in World War II. So they can die. They can die, but what's more. Mickey, Dave, you realize that the ramifications of this, at some point there was a little Volkswagen Hitler running around. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But my question is this. Uh, I get the idea of what I guess what I'm not getting from the trailers and from the articles written about the movie, and maybe it'll be more clear once we actually see it. But in Cars 3, uh, there seems to be a kind of rage against the machine going on. And I'm not, yeah. yeah, and I'm not a thousand percent sure which way we're supposed to fall as the audience. Are we supposed to feel like Lightning McQueen is good enough, strong enough in his old school ways um, of, you know, kind of the Rocky running on the beach style training? Or 
is it the the new car, the new technologically advanced car that we should all be adapting to? No, you're absolutely right. This, this is the sort of thing where it makes a lot of sense when our uh, our protagonist age. It makes a little bit less sense when our protagonist is a car. And you kind of wonder, like, are kids going to relate to a storyline about getting older and not being as young as you used to be? Is this kind of, you know, this is very much a Star Trek style. Uh, this, this is the sort of thing that, the theme that inevitably comes up in sequels. This sense of your protagonist getting older, they can't do what they used to do. Um, all kinds of reasons that, uh, uh, that, that just, I'm not sure it really is going to fit I'm going to well, take but, you one further and say yeah. it's an animated car. Yeah, it's a good point, right? I mean, like, you know. I, the entire, I struggled with Cars 2, and I'm going to just be honest with the audience about this. I struggled with Cars 2. I did not find Cars 2 to be nearly as good as Cars 1. And, again, we've talked about this before. You sometimes put these sequels out there simply because there's a market for the original. And oftentimes the sequels are not as good. They kind of miss the mark, and sometimes they completely miss the audience. Now, obviously we're talking about Cars, but... Another big movie. I mean, Mr. Bias will tell you that his favorite movie is Aliens. Mm, okay. And in his mind, did the series stop after two movies or after three? He was fine with three. Um, he owns the trilogy. <laughs> yeah. um, but his favorite was the second one. Now, yeah. this is one of those rare occasions when you'll talk to people and they'll say, yes, the sequel was better than the original. Um, or you know what? They, you know, they... Call me like crazy, but my favorite alien movie is the very last one, Predators, when they're on that uh, – oh, that's the wrong the wrong uh, series. Pardon me. Is that Predator versus Alien? Yeah, that's where they crossed over in my mind. And once they crossed, they both became the same series. So now I think there's <laughs> about know, eight of them. versus Jason, so I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For what they were, um, people really did like it. Uh, the, the, we've now kind of – once you say, okay, we're putting two of the biggest, scariest monsters of science fiction up against each other, perfectly fine. I, I know that uh, Sigourney Weaver loathes those movies uh, and insists that they're not real or aren't part of the main series. We now have coming up, this, uh, I guess in a week or two, Alien Covenant, which is sort of a sequel to Prometheus, which was a kind of sort of hinted sequel to, or prequel to all the Aliens movies. Um, Alien Prometheus is on the do not watch list in the house. Me too. FYI, you okay. scary stuff. Well, I was gonna say this is this. I believe it was the story of the dumbest scientist ever, <laughs> um, constantly basic, doing everything short of of uh, sticking their fingers in the aliens' bum hole. Or <laughs> uh, <in order> <laughs> you suddenly got the attention of a whole new audience here, Jim. <laughs> right, so the, you know. Where is the aliens' bum hole? Long before the the beloved crocodile hunter passed away, twi- uh, uh, was you know South Park made fun of him and basically said, "Oh, this crocodile! I'm gonna I'm gonna stick my thumb up his bum hole and see what happens." <laughs> oh, he's, he's really mad now. You know the idea that Steve Irwin kept seeming to deliberately antagonize the crocodiles in an attempt to get more dramatic footage. I'd have trouble um, finding just, that on an alien, though. That's exactly where is it. Where is it? <laughs> You'd have to Prometheus conduct the search. Prometheus was a, a fantastic theme of, you know, let's see if we can get the audience to start rooting for the alien. That if you make your protagonist sufficiently dumb, you're like, okay, all right, just start eating these guys. Just start tearing them apart, you know, <laughs> reproducing in their faces and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so Covenant is coming, and I, I you know, the trailers, I, I, I suppose if you're an alien fan, you'll love it. I'm looking at it. Uh, Mickey, and so far, I just it looks like the same 
it's the footage of, of uh, Aliens from 1986, just with different actors. Well, and therein lies part of the problem with this is I think that as some of these movies age, you're starting to get wanting people wanting to produce, and specifically Sigourney Weaver's involved with this one um, in the production as understanding and the idea that you want to kind of bring the story back to life but bring it to life with the new technologies that are available to Hollywood and the producers and directors etc special effects but if we already know the story and we love the story and again all of these movies that surround aliens from Prometheus to there were other movies that have come out and sometimes you're watching them like is this one of those aliens movies or no because they're just so close up against it there was all those like red planet type things going on there for a while. And I, I just have to wonder if there is still the co- same kind of demand for that type of movie in the theater. I still you know, liked Alien yeah. versus Predator when they ran around in the little town like it was those sandworm movies with those B-grade actors and Reba McIntyre. Tremors. 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 That was a great yeah. movie. <laughs> <laughs> the Alien versus Predator was a lot like that. A redneck in a small town. Because if Kevin Bacon is in it, then it makes it all better. (laughs) Six degrees of separation. (laughs) For for obvious reasons, uh, for budget and cost and scope and all that stuff, we very rarely spend much time on Earth in these movies. Uh, We very rarely see the rest of society. It's always some sort of isolated mining colony or spaceship or space station. It's always a limited series of sets. Uh, that can look really spooky with lots of steam coming out of places and dark crevices, and all of a sudden, blah, there's an alien. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, that's, that's the advanced sound effects we have here. At that's the fantastic. Yes. Blah, 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 blah. Speaking of uh, budget, uh, last, we can't afford to continue this, this segment any longer. So, uh. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's all the right, rap signal. The only thing worse than getting caught on an alien planet is being a sports fan in D.C., and we'll discuss that right after this. Balls of Fury. Flight 209 are clear for Vector 324. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our Vector, Victor? Allied radio clearance, over. That's Clarence, over. Over. Roger. Huh? Roger, over. It's kind of that middle area of the sports world where we've got all kinds of exciting things going on, listeners. We've got the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, and of course, what am I focused on? football that's the most important thing to me however my pens who i you know i claim because they are part of the whole pittsburgh franchise have just defeated the caps and they're moving forward in their quest for the stanley cup playoffs and this has left some dc sports fans wondering if they have been cursed yeah, for a long time you could say to point to cleveland right and the, the continuing travails and troubles of the indians at least made it to the World Series last year, uh, the Cleveland Browns having been terrible, and the Cavaliers before LeBron James. So for a long time, that was a you know, rough town. Detroit, uh, troubles for the Lions, troubles for the Tigers. So the Pistons were pretty darn good uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s. There's a new discussion about whether Washington, D.C. now ranks as, as the most suffering city in the world of sports. Um, I particularly enjoyed a column from the, the Washington Post's uh, Thomas Boswell. And he, gave, he kind of finally gave this, this sense of gloom in the city a persona. He called it the troll of Washington. And he had the idea yes. that he lives, he lives under the bridges and he kind of whispers in the fans' ear, the Capitals are going to choke. The Wizards are never going to be any good. <laughs> the Nationals will be great in the regular season and collapse in the playoffs. <laughs> and there's a certain, you know, he, he writes this Tuesday morning. 
Uh, big games for the Wizards against the Penguins, for the Wizards against the Celtics and the Capitals against the Penguins. And the Capitals lose Game 7, and that's that. And uh, the, the uh, Wizards lost. They now are down three games to two as of this taping against uh, the Celtics. Celtics are very tough at home, and I think just about almost unbeaten, like 18-3 and three in Game 7 or something. So all of a sudden, the outlook for the Wizards is significantly gloomier. And we haven't even gotten started on the Redskins. Um, and Mickey, you remember in the past I've said Redskins fans are the most manic depressive in the NFL. Oh, absolutely. I have never seen fans like them. Um, I had not grown up around them. Once I moved here and met them, I didn't fully understand their psyche. Because as a Steelers fan, even when we're winning, my fear is that we're going to lose soon. And they're the opposite of that. In that if they win the first game of the season, good luck being around them. Because hey, they're, they're already, about- build- they're already yes. building the trophy case for the Lombardi Trophy. Absolutely. Every year. And then, of course, once they lose it, ah, oh, Snyder is never going to let the team. Ah, oh, you know, and it's it's you really want to put them on medication. Yes, they are. They are suffering fans, but they're also kind of self-inflicted suffering fans. Because what I have found with Redskins fans specifically is that a lot of times they are fans in the least accurate sense of the word. They mm. don't always watch the games. They're not really all that invested in their team. But if they win, damn it, they are going to be all over you about it. And if they lose, the world could come to an end. You know, because there's a lot of argument about what the great sports, you know, sports towns and sports cities are. I think, you know, Pittsburgh would be high up there. I think most people concede, yes, Boston, as insufferable as they are, have enjoyed, you know, they are passionate and they stick by their teams through, you know, good times and bad. They've had a lot of good times. I think Pittsburgh, um, Boston, Chicago, Dallas, even to a certain degree. Oh, absolutely. I, I would put in here, you know, I will stand up as a New York, like New York is a huge city. So it's always going to have a dedicated fan base. It's always going to have, uh, have all that. So the, the question of who's worst, I think you can put almost any good warm weather town as one in which you're competing against going out and doing something fun, which is why the Florida Marlins never have anybody attendance and half the crowds at Jet Game at uh, the Jets Jacksonville Dolphins. Jaguars, too. Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, Jacksonville. Ugh. <laughs> you know, um, it's interesting to hear some people argue that the, the Montreal, Montreal, the Canadians and the former Expos and things like that. Um, have their troubles because you figure that with, with towns that have or Portland with the Trailblazers teams that have only one major you know professional sports team, uh, you'd figure they'd be you know uh, that that there'd be a dedicated fan base. There's no competition, but uh, apparently not. So I don't. Any, any other spots you would continue to be the the worst worst cities for sports with the worst fans? Well, I mean, I kind of have to look at L.A. because while they continue to get new teams, they can never keep them. Mm. See, I, I would have guessed uh, the, the infamous reputation of Philadelphia, uh, whether it's booing Santa Claus, cheering the injury to Michael Irvin, all kinds of the jail inside the stadium. Uh, all oh, kinds- they're the worst fans, but they are dedicated. That's a good point. You got to, you know, bad behavior, but they're dedicated. But I, Mickey, you were telling me, is it, you said there was some foreign fan base that may have, may have even topped Philadelphia? Yes, it appears that the people in Philadelphia may have a run for their money as it turns to the worst fans on the planet. And uh, according to TMZ, there is a Denmark soccer team that was recently fined because they were throwing dead rats dead rats at the players on the field. <laughs> what? 
It well, all, according to TMZ, it all went down when the Brondy IF Football Club was playing rivals FC Copenhagen on April 17th, and the Bromby fans started throwing massive dead rodents on the opposing team. You know how hard it is to sneak live rats into a stadium, don't you? I mean, they had to settle for dead ones. I guess dead rats are better. I'm just like, I'm wondering, first of all, like, what is your thought process? Like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put dead rats in. I mean, I, I know that there is a hockey team that likes to throw squid. No, it's the, the legend of the octopus for the yeah. Detroit Red Wings. Mm-hmm. Yes, and they like to throw the squid onto the ice. Um, however, when we're talking about dead rats, I want to know where they got them, how they got them into the stadium, and more importantly, who thought of them? This idea. I'm going to go on a crazy limb and guess that alcohol was involved. Were they drunk? Hey guys, we got to do the next. Do it. We'll throw rats at them, and uh, <laughs> if he scores three goals, we'll call it a rat trick, and we'll throw three rats onto the field. I'm not a soccer fan. However, um, I'm going to go ahead and link to this on our Facebook page because I really want our listeners to be able to see that these are not tiny mice we're talking about here either. These oh. are full-fledged New York pizza rat rats, <laughs> and they carried them in and tossed the dead ones on. I want to go back. You mentioned the infamous octopus of the Detroit Red Wings. Um, I I almost want to salute them because apparently I'm seeing here on Wikipedia, one 1995 game, fans threw 36 octopuses, including a specimen weighing 38 pounds. (laughs) You almost, what do you have that slipped under your coat or something? (laughs) No, it's just the 38 pound octopus I have under my coat. I put on a little weight. Go onto the ice after we score, you know. (laughs) <laughs> but it does make you wonder, again, what they are checking at all of these security checkpoints. Oh, what is that? That's my dead rat. It's worse, right? So the Nashville Predators, now they don't have, a, you know, they're, you know no calamari is not going to do it for them. They began throwing catfish onto the home ice. Okay, so the, the first recorded incidents. And so they, they, they have a quote from a, a cleaning person, quote, they're so gross. They're huge. They're heavy. They stink. Because you're right. It's not like you're keeping your, 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 your uh, octopus or catfish in refrigeration during the first period or going to the game and stuff. Well, they're, they're, they're throwing they it on ice, you know. trail on the ice. How could they do any better oh. than icing it down, right? They're just trying to keep the smell down. <laughs> I, I, where is PETA on all of this seafood abuse? Wait, it gets worse. <laughs> you know what they throw in, in San Jose? What's the team nickname? Sharks. The Sharks. Yes, 2007. Sharks fan through a. I want three sharks with freaking laser beams on them. How do you get a three foot leopard shark into the stadium? <laughs> I, this, this is where you start firing some security people. Like, okay, guys. A, a, a switchblade getting through security. Okay, some of these things we could understand. How do you sneak a three-foot shark past security? Did it have a freaking laser beam on its head? Yeah, boop. Oh, I'm going oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to eat that later. Oh, okay, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the big stories out of sports this week is also the the continued growth of the partnership between the NFL and Twitter. And while the NFL and Twitter have have been working together the last couple years of trying to make Twitter kind of the official social media of the NFL, they announced today that they're going to actually be putting together a live show. It's going to be a live digital show that's going to air on Twitter five days a week during the NFL season. They're also going to have live pregame coverage where people can go on Twitter and watch it through the Periscope app. 
um, that Twitter has. And, and, of course, the NFL will continue to program highlights, breaking news, analysis. Um, they do kind of a throwback Thursday from, for NFL sports um, kind of, you know, historical trivia, things of that nature. One thing I noticed they're not going to be doing, Jim, is showing the game. Yeah, I was about to say, so how much does any of that appeal to you? It doesn't. And as someone who loves football and loves the NFL, now I'm not suggesting that maybe, you know, and they have not necessarily suggested who is going to be hosting these shows outside of the fact that it's going to be people from the NFL network. My guess is that this is some way to supplement those who do not get the NFL network through their cable package. Uh, And part of that continuing, like we've talked about on this show, the, the continuing, you know, they're not necessarily cutting the cord, but they're weaning it back. See, I was about to say whether the, the fair question is, when you want sports, and you, you, you're, a, you're a fan of your team, you know, I like to watch, obviously, the game. If I had enough discretionary time, I might watch the pregame show. Um, I think I preferred the ESPN one the most because it was the less, it was the least, you know, uh, linebacker Johnny Jones has a strange habit, you know, hobby in the offseason. He likes to raise ducks or so, you know, instead of like, no, here's who's going to win, here's the X's and O's, all that kind of stuff. I, Mickey, are you are you eager to watch the pregame stretching through Periscope? Right? Like what 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 exactly am I going to see through this that I'm I'm gonna that's going to change my understanding and appreciation of the game? I will be completely honest. If they focus on the Steelers, I will probably end up watching some of it. And again, it'll depend on who the hosts are and what they do with it. But as you mentioned just now, you said you know how would you feel about the pregame stretching? And all I could envision were my people. In the black and gold, and thinking, I'll watch that. Okay, okay. I guess an interesting question, maybe something that you know the ESPNs of the world, having their recent financial troubles and layoffs, uh, would want to ask the question: of, So, what do, what do our fans actually want in this? Right? Like, I deep down, I want to hear somebody saying, "Yeah, the Jets have a chance of winning this game." Um, and I'm, I'm, I keep clicking around looking for a, a uh, analyst who's got who would say that. And then, if so, what they have to do, what they what to expect, and that kind of stuff. I, I don't know if watching the pregame warm-ups is give, it gives, gives me that much, you know? But I, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm turning to a cranky sports fan. I think what we're going to end up seeing is it just kind of expand on what we already see as the sideline reporter. You know, they yeah. always flash to the sideline reporter who gives, you know, a 30-second analysis of nothing. He's holding his hamstring. And that right. Back to you guys. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think we're going to see the rise of the sideline reporter kind of come up through some of this live programming. So it might be interesting to see how it plays out. What I do think is, is the most interesting about it is the way that they're expanding beyond cable at this point and trying to reach out to social media. I do find it fascinating they chose to go through Twitter and not through Facebook, though. Well, you know, it's only your grandmother who's on, uh, on, on Facebook anymore. So, um, so listen, we will be looking at this. Maybe people have decided that Facebook has gotten too politically correct with Zuckerberg or something. But we'll be looking at political correctness and an un- a surprising new target of their outrage right after this. Hey, here's a great place to visit if you must do some driving. Your independent Texaco retailer. Ask how he can help you get better mileage with quality Texaco products. Chocolate lovers, watch out for new Choco Bliss. Oh, what a sweet sensation. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White, who I understand did an appearance on Christian Toto's program recently. Am I right, Mickey? Uh, Yes, I did. I was on Hollywood and Toto, the podcast, a few weeks ago, and uh, we talked a little bit about this show and, and also some of the writings that I do, and I got to plug my Kardashian love as well. 
Yeah. Well, you might have figured he, he has a good item and he kind of collects a bunch of reviews of this new uh, movie featuring one of, well, is Amy Schumer still one of your favorites, uh, Mickey? She was never one of my favorites. Wasn't? Okay. All right. Maybe I'm misremembering that. Okay. The, she had a, well, the, the truth of the matter is when I watched her original comedy um, central show, I thought that it had potential. It was actually quite funny. I did not hate Trainwreck. But after that, things went really south really quickly with me and her. Mm. Yeah, I mean, she became a, a perhaps a, one of the most outspoken politically uh, active uh, celebrity figures and obviously a great son people. She's got a new movie coming out with Goldie Hawn, a mother-daughter adventure. Um, Called but, Snatched. Snatched, yes. Which, boy, oh boy, uh, getting torn apart by the critics. Uh, and one of the interesting things is the idea that it's being criticized for not being politically correct. Uh, quoting the New York Times uh, review, it says, you know, uh, Snatched is one of those movies that subscribes to the dubious homeopathic theory that, of cultural insensitivity by which the acknowledgement of offensiveness is supposed to prevent anyone from taking offense. The idea is that if you use variations of the phrase, that's racist, as a punchline a few times, Nothing else you say or do could possibly be racist, including, say, populating your movie with dark-skinned thugs with funny accents and killing a few of them for cheap laughs. <clears throat> now, look, I haven't seen the movie. I can't evaluate it. Um, I, I, I suppose I could take a certain amount of pleasure at uh, uh, Amy Schumer being denounced for not being politically correct enough. I, I, I guess the even here, though, Mickey, I don't know about you, I find myself, my, my teeth grinding a bit because... I, you kind of have to leave artists free to make mistakes. Like even if it turns out bad, I kind of want to encourage the risk taking, even if it might offend somebody. Okay. I, I want to just clarify that I have no desire to see this movie as it looks terrible. Okay. Um, I also am just disgusted with the fact that they brought Goldie Hawn back to do a buddy girl movie and she was not cast with Kate Hudson, her Actually, daughter. Yeah. Right. I mean, the only explanation I can think of is the common widespread rumor that Kate Hudson is actually a clone of uh, of of Goldie Hawn. Well, it yes, and it appears that Amy Schumer had her hands all over this particular project, and in fact, you know, part of the writing, part of the producing, and part of bringing Goldie Hawn into it. Well, Goldie Hawn is a comedic legend, and her timing is impeccable. But the idea of her being paired up with someone as clumsy as Amy Schumer and as awkward, and I say this in the way that she actually delivers her lines and the way that she quote unquote acts. And you guys can't see me right now, but I'm using air quotes around acts because nothing that I've really seen Amy Schumer do is something that's much of a stretch beyond the characters and the stand-up that she's done. Yeah, it's the same persona in role to role. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, in fact, she was recently booted from a Barbie project, which I supported wholeheartedly because I thought whatever the Barbie project was going to be, it was going to be 10 times worse if she was involved. Yeah, I get like you know, the idea of how you're going to build an entire movie around Barbie. Granted, I'm not the target demographic, but uh, Barbie has tons of movies, by the way, like tons of movies for little girls that are about animated movies. Yeah, yeah you know. things like that, et cetera. This, yes, a live action Barbie movie is probably going to happen. It does make me feel better that Amy Schumer won't be involved because she's a little bit of toxic for brands. Um, also, a little like bit also. thick in the middle, if you'll pardon my Barbie joke. <laughs> 
Well, apparently the idea was she was the imperfect Barbie. I'm like, yes, but was she like the nasty, nobody wants to hang out with her Barbie? They'd have never let her off the assembly line. (laughs) She's too imperfect. And I think about what, you know, again, I I think about what she did with Bud Light and, and what she does with Old Navy. And unfortunately, she's kind of a product of her own creation in the sense that she made herself famous by being an offensive, you know, sexually charged comic who says crazy things that you wouldn't quote unquote expect a girl to say, then goes out and tries to brand herself with this. And brands seem to have missed the mark on the idea that she kind of comes off as the girl that is doing the walk of shame the next day. Mm. And, you know, she is kind of like the, and not the good bad girl, more like the bad girl where you go, oh, so this is like uh, wearing a black dress and carrying your heels and walking in pantyhose down a busy residential sidewalk at like eight in the morning, right? Yes, with their mascara smeared off the okay, side of her face. I got face. you. And again, I'm not judging. I'm just <laughs> saying that that's kind of how she comes across. I, you, you are correct. And I would point out that we have seen some phenomenal flips uh, in, in people, in, in actors, performers, personas. If you'd say, if, let's do a time machine, Mickey. Let's go back to the late 80s, early 90s and let everyone know that Ice-T, author of Cop Killer, will spend about a decade playing a cop on television in various Dick Wolf TV shows. Right? Oh, absolutely. There are- or that Ice Cube will someday be making family comedies. Yeah, Ice-T, Are Ice we there Cube. yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? All the boys that come out of Compton have the ability to be flexible and malleable, <laughs> apparently, depending on the role. But the thing about it is, is these guys were very bright and very smart going into their careers. And while certainly, you know, gangster rap was how they got started, if you look into their backgrounds a little bit more um, and, and you look into them as people, you'll find that they were very driven individuals. They were going to be successful in whatever avenue they chose to go into. With Schumer, it's a little bit different because once she started to just get that peak of fame, she then also attached herself to her uncle Chuck Schumer and attached herself to a lot of very liberal-leaning causes um, and then tried to kind of come back around and say, no, I'm still the funny anti-PC girl. Because if you watch her original Comedy Central show, this is the type of show that will cause anyone who has that oh, we need to have a certain civility in our society. Yeah. Um, they would be shocked by some of the things that she put forth, but that was what I found funny. Again, I'm a South Park Republican in the sense that I like things that are funny and offensive at times because I think that there's a place for that. Yeah, her mistake is she's going to half the country that doesn't want to hear it and stopping with the comedy in the middle of the show to do ugly, plain, hard-left politics without humor. And she's got people walking out of her of her shows. I heard about one in Tampa where you know, about a third of the people got up and left because they were so mad. It wasn't what they paid to come to see. Absolutely. And it's a balancing act when you're in this position and you are someone, again, she did not really have a solid footing in Hollywood before she started trekking down this path of, I'm going to tell people how they should think and how they should live. And without giving a great deal of thought to what her actual personal brand was, mm-hmm. because her personal right. brand is I'm a drunk and a slut. Yeah, yeah. My sneaking suspicion is that Snatched will not do well, and everyone will have a ready-made reason. Um, the New York Times reviewer may look at it and say, well, it's, it's a terrible movie because it's so politically incorrect. Uh, it, it makes racist jokes and then tries to uh, excuse itself by denouncing those jokes as racist, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, some people might say, oh, this is Amy Schumer. She's become very publicly left wing. Hooray for her movie, you know, Crashing and Burning. I, I think if, if Snatched is going to rise or fall, I'd like to see Snatched rise or fall on its own merits, which is to say, you know, it looks terrible. So maybe it's a really terrible movie. Um, but I almost want to say I'd rather be in a – sorry, the, I, I'm more worried about performers not making good ideas for film for the fear it might offend someone than I am about somebody actually being offended by a movie. Because if it looks bad, you just don't go and see it. Oh, absolutely. And, and again, I am for all, all for free speech and free expression. And I think that, again, the problem that she got into is trying to walk that line, not realizing that she would be harming herself in the long term. That, that when these people do turn on you, and they will, um, the PC police, the you know, SJWs, whatever you want to call them, it's very difficult to make a comedy where you're not being offensive because good comedy often is offensive. Yeah, you, you really can't, you know, it, it's very hard to be the politically correct shock jock. Um, and, and it's interesting, I remember you know, Howard, Howard Stern has run into this in recent uh, uh, years, an argument that he's gone soft, he's much more... Um, uh, open about allying himself with certain perspectives uh, that are that are seen as as mainstream in Hollywood, uh, and he was you know unbelievably crass and unbelievable. But this is a guy. We're on Howard Stern. This is a guy who made his entire living and fortune talking about lesbians and boobs. Right, and and you know you. I guess one of the, one of the things that might be particularly unnerving to people is that if. If the if political correctness can I'm making air quotes as I say this can civilize Howard Stern, right? If Howard Stern reaches a point where he doesn't want to cross the boundaries of taste for fear of running afoul of this this crowd, right? Who's left, right? It's, it's the South Park guys, and then not too many folks beyond that. And that's thank kind God of for South you know, Park. I'm sorry, what? I said thank God for South Park because they are some of the few people out there that are still putting out fresh and entertaining comedy. And they attack everyone equally, and I'm okay with that. Um, I think, again, what does kind of keep them away from it is they address it within their material, within their product. They are not addressing it in side speeches, in letters to the editor, in announcements with Chuck Schumer standing by them. Yeah, again, most of these, like, the other thing is that, look, I mean, Hollywood churns out so many given movies in a year. That's not even... Counting direct-to-video, that's not even counting uh, made-for-cable movies, that's not even counting, you know, you know that I, I would hate to think that everybody started uh, catering to the same audience and being afraid of certain new taboos being imposed and everybody trying to be afraid of, you know, don't, don't, don't address that, don't, you'll, you'll offend somebody or something like that. There's already enough groupthink uh, going on in Hollywood. We just talked about the, the sequels and stuff. And eventually you end up with an with a entertainment landscape where everything starts to look the same. Maybe kind of like primetime network television. <laughs> now that's at- a perfect segue. We will take a look at those after this. Tastes like a beer because it should because it's brewed like a beer. Of course it's good. Working out or working late when you're thirsting for a break. Let's be perfectly clear. It's what beer drinkers drink when they're not drinking beer. Odoo's. Odoo's, the brew from Anheuser-Busch with the alcohol naturally removed for real beer taste and only 70 calories. Anytime, anywhere. It's what beer drinkers drink when they're not drinking beer. Odoo's. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Mickey White along with Jim Garrity, and we are talking about the time of year that it is right now where people find out 
that their favorite shows will not be coming back in the fall. This is when the networks announce their upfronts for the new shows, and they also let people know the shows that they have decided to cancel. Some of these are being canceled after just one season, and some are being canceled after several very successful seasons. Yeah, I know. I look, I, I went down the list. I didn't see any shows that I watch or feel particularly uh, attached to, so I'm not um, that. So, I, I, an interesting bit of a development uh, scandal the ABC show that turned Kerry Washington into a star uh, is you know, the, the upcoming season is the seventh season. Yes. But that's going to be the last. So, it's not, it's not canceled per se, as in psh, that's it. It's that, no, this is, you know, we got one last one, wrapping it up and. Uh, <laughs> I you know, that's one that seems genuinely surprising. Although I look at that, I wonder whether Kerry Washington wants to do movies or something. I think that that's a possibility, but I also think that you know when you look around to when Scandal was originally announced, um, when it came out, some of these political dramas may not fly well in the current atmosphere. Oh yeah, no. First of all, as I'm reading the description, one of the writers had to scrap a planned storyline that featured. Russians hacking the presidential election. Right. Reality struck a little too close for home. There were two things about Scandal, a couple things about Scandal that I, I've never been a regular watcher of the show and not a particularly big fan. Um, but I was going to observe one, like it's politics for people who have no interest in politics whatsoever. Yes. So I, people would ask me, oh, you know, like when you, when my occasional interactions with people who don't follow po- U.S., you know, actual real world politics at all. They will ask me, well, don't you think it could be? And they come up with the most insanely outlandish conspiracy theories. And I'd say, yeah, no, that really can't happen. Or, you know, actually that would be, you know, that would be breaking the Constitution. Or, no, I'm fairly certain the, the president doesn't have a secret assassination squad. Or, no, I'm, I'm fairly certain the vice president has not been kidnapped. You know, things where the producers of 24 would say, okay, that's a little far-fetched. Right. And I, and I think that the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that you're looking at – a, a scenario where we've had a great deal of political dramas um and right now we've got house of cards on netflix which in my opinion is probably the best political drama that's ever been put together and it's still going strong but at the same time it, it's a much more measured storytelling format within the netflix world whereas you know one of the big lines for all of these broadcast shows when they're doing something that they feel is real to life they like to say what jim it's been ripped from the headlines yeah. And put Where, into the story. And nobody really wants to watch it on TV. When Dick Wolf decides to make Paula Dean kill Trayvon Martin. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose you could say that's ripped from the headlines, as in both of those figures were in the news. But, you know, it, it's basically Dick Wolf's here's how it should have happened, um, which is how you end all these billionaire serial killers and uh, uh, angry and government militias operating out of Staten Island. What I find uh, interesting about the list is there was a big sweep in um, over the last two years of time travel shows. And as someone who was a big fan of Quantum Leap, I initially looked into a lot of these shows and almost all of them are being canceled this year. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've, time was time after time. And it makes me wonder why was it the storylines that weren't solid? Was it the acting that wasn't solid? Or are we just over the point of seeing people flip back and forth between time? A lot of these, see, from where I'm sitting, seemed kind of generic. Um, oh, you know, what if Jack the Ripper came to, came to today? Well, then he'd, you know, then we'd have a remake of Silence of the Lambs. Um, you know, the Timeless or whatever the one that had them. Uh, going back in time seemed somewhat interesting, but you kind of knew that each 
um, story episode was going to end with the, t- the main timeline of regular history being fixed and you would not end up with the Soviets winning the Cold War or something like that. What I thought would be a much more interesting concept for a show is the idea of it's a time traveler who's come back trying to change the future, but the future is very dystopian. And what they're actually doing is changing the timeline to ha- to, to, from, from disastrous things happening to the way things turned out, i.e. they're trying to prevent Lincoln from being assassinated in the first year of the, uh, the, first year of the Civil War. And the idea is that reality that we're all living in is the alternate timeline. This is the better world that they're trying to build. And so the idea is not watching history go wrong, villains trying to make the history go wrong, and heroes trying to stop them. All the screenwriters in the audience right now are just writing notes. Go, do, go with it, because I'm not going to have time to develop this idea. But the just being that instead of watching your, our hero succeeds, right? Our hero succeeds in changing time to make it more like this, and that what we're all living in, as, as frustrating and depressing as it may seem, is the good scenario, because other scenarios of history could have gone much worse. Let me throw this to you. Is there a problem with us doing these kind of time travel stories now because we are implementing and enforcing the rules of this time period into those characters? Oh, I think that's – yeah. There's inevitably a, uh, a bit of awkwardness. Uh, on one of the time travel shows, they had an African-American – uh, one. And obviously, this on the one hand, this gives you an opportunity to do a lot of good stories about America's history, our race relations, what it would be like to live under segregation. Um, but on the other hand, it also means that this person is going to have a very difficult time sneaking around and infiltrating things and doing all the things that the, their mission is going to require them to do. So um, that always struck me as bad. You know, it's interesting watching, looking at all this extraordinarily long list of cancellations, Mickey. Do you know it's still going to be around? What's that, Jim? NCIS. <laughs> NCIS and cockroaches. NCIS, the never canceled investigative service. Mark Harmon uh, in a wheelchair. <laughs> and I, you know, there, there are years I've enjoyed it. I really think the show lost something with the departure of Ziva. Yeah. I really think the show lost even more with the departure of Michael Weatherby, who went off to do Bull, and now they don't have Dinozo. I'm extremely disappointed that they brought on uh, Wil- Wilbur Valderrama, I'm mangling his name, but they haven't done a single um, can we build it, yes we can <laughs> Bob, uh, 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 Handy Manny joke at right. any point in the, sh- in the show. <laughs> I need to tell you, my problem with NCIS as someone who lives in the state of Virginia <laughs> has been from the beginning, and, and I, I got hooked on NCIS during the Ziva years. And I stopped watching promptly after she left. Uh, that was pretty much the last time I watched NCIS. I didn't even wait around for Michael Weatherby to leave. Um, Ziva was it for me. And when she was gone, so was the show. However, my biggest problem has and will continue to be that they make people in the rest of the, whatever, 49 states believe that you can get from D.C. to Norfolk and back in an afternoon. <laughs> and then usually like an hour and a half. Yes, and I was like, I'm going to take a half hour trip down to Norfolk. Okay. Yeah, also, you pass through the deserts and mountains of Northern Virginia along the way. There's um, always a cabin just outside Richmond. Like yeah. Richmond's not a city. Like it's like it blows my mind how many times I have watched this. Oh, he's staying in a cabin outside Richmond. Where? Where are their cabins? I'd like to know where this is. Egregious misuse of a location. Since Jack Power got in a terrible uh, gunfight at the massive seaport in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, all, all the cargo container ships that park in Alexandria. 
And the thing about it is, is I, I, it makes me wonder when people write these shows, I realize, you know, a lot of it has to be written in for the, the fictionalization of everything. But legitimately, did they not know about our traffic problems here? A better, more creative team could make could build an entire sequence out of attempting to have a car chase in the middle of, tra- of like beltway traffic. Oh, absolutely! Hour, right? I want to see them know. get from you know one part of DC to another in a half hour, let alone all the way down to Norfolk Naval Base and back up. Uh, no, the, the, the NCIS. Look, it's it's very rarely a bad episode. I still watch it with Mrs. Campaign Spot, and I you know. I haven't really grown terribly attached to any of the new characters. The, the chemistry isn't quite there. There's now a little bit of murmurs that uh, uh, Gibbs could end up becoming the new director. Um, doesn't, you know, it doesn't really fit his character, but the idea that maybe he wants to take a, a back seat in future episodes. I just rolled just, my eyes. It just kind of plods along. Um, well, see, every it also some... reminds me of another CBS show that seemingly never goes away and has had some really horrible seasons, and that's Criminal Minds. <laughs> and I, I, I still watch Criminal Minds every single week, and that's my fault, by the way. It's it on me for still watching. But slowly but surely, they have taken away characters. They've taken away plots. They've created whole scenarios around Spencer Reed that don't even make sense. The poor boy has had heroin addiction. He got his girlfriend was killed before he ever even had a chance to kiss her. And this this season they threw him in jail. I used to love Mandy Patinkin, but he's turned into one of the guys most difficult to work with and most critical and most odd duck, you know, actor. And I can't stand watching him in the show because it makes me think about what he's like in person. Well, and he was fantastic as Jason Gideon. And and I will be honest with you. I was happy when they brought in Tony Montana as well um, to replace him. Joe, Joe Montana. Joe, yeah, he Joe, was excellent. Tony, he was yeah, excellent. Nice. Joe, yes. To Say hello to his little friend. His little friend. Um, <laughs> I knew it didn't sound right. Um, but I, I, I love him, and I love the Rossi character, and I was willing to work with them on that. But they have played musical characters with us for a long time. Like, oh, JJ's not here anymore, but here's another little blonde. And when they got rid of Shamar Moore, they suddenly brought in you know, a Latin actor. Now they've brought in a black actor. Neither of them are as hot as Shamar Moore. So they're not really meeting the quota that he delivered for me. <laughs> I believe the uh, the final episode of the series did feature the team uh, targeting the the uh, the mastermind behind all the terrible crimes that they've seen perpetuated uh, year by year. They finally went after the criminal minds writing staff uh, and hunted them down and caught <laughs> yes. caught them on a Hollywood studio and well, that's pure and, evil. and wrapped them all up. So. <laughs> started watching that show for was because they were tracking serial killers like you know one is kind of like ncis and other of the procedurals where you could theoretically watch one episode out of the chain or out of the series and you'd still know what was going on and what they started doing was building these larger story arcs with all of this personal thing involving the uh the team of the bau and i don't care i just want them to catch killers that's it well, maybe that's uh, – let's admit, catching killers is a tough job, but probably not as tough a job as you've had. We'll be talking about our listeners' toughest jobs right after this. Aging Mr. Herman. Mr. Herman, you have a telephone call at the front desk. <laughs> Sunday night, 2,000 pounds of raging terror, stalking its prey by night. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And Mickey, I think we both agree – 
To the extent this is a job, and I'm making air quotes as I say that, we, it's one of our easiest and most enjoyable. But lots of us have had bad and tough jobs. Um, and you asked all of our listeners this week on Trivial Tuesday, what the worst job? And saying, pointing out that sometimes the worst job is your first job. I feel particularly bad for Durf, a.k.a. Fred on Twitter, spelled Twitter with a U. Yes. Um, worst job for him was working at a turkey leg stand at Six Flags. That strikes me because he lasted one day. I, I know that feeling. Turkey legs. Well, and I asked him, you know, where were turkey legs, you know, is it a hard sell? What was the, what was the situation? It's not like and he's he at a medieval said, festival or anything. Yes, and he said, you know, obviously being in the park and on the hot, hot asphalt, on top of that, he also was cleaning out grease drains. Yes, the gre- I refuse to clean out a grease trap ever ever again. And uh, that, that sounds pretty, uh, pretty darn unpleasant. I, I can understand that. Uh, but who knows? He could have had a brilliant career in turkey leg sales. <laughs> you never know. Jim, did you ever have a really bad job? Um, for, for sheer manual labor and heat and, and unpleasantness, uh, Baxter Healthcare, uh, medical supply warehouse for a summer. Um, not pleasant, uh, you know, loading trucks all day and, and working. I believe the, the day started at 4 p.m. and a lot of days would go to 4, a, uh, 4 a.m. Uh, working 50, 60 hours a week and, uh, you know, not great. But there are worse jobs, no doubt. Uh, first jobs was a, a food town supermarket ch- checkout job. And, man, was I, you know, I, I got one day of training, which was nowhere near enough to operate the cash register. And then it was thrown to the wolves. <laughs> I, I am at sure a, there are people in the service telling me to quit whining right now. So I I'll worked at a driving range when I was a kid, a golf driving range. And the tractor that we used to pull the pickup, trailer for the golf balls was a 1947 willis jeep a military surplus and the the cage built on it to protect the driver was only on one side the pro never bothered to finish building the cage so every time i made a left turn on the driving range i faced the range without a cage and my buddies were always there hitting golf balls at me I can't tell you how many times I caught golf balls in the ribs and on the forearm and <laughs> guys wow. trying to bang golf balls at me from 120 yards away with the driver because I was unprotected. It's like, hey, <laughs> I'd only lasted one summer. I'm sure they were aiming for you. Dave. They were. I know I did when the other guy was up. <laughs> well, I mentioned my brief foray into the restaurant service whenever I worked for an ice cream shop in my small hometown, and I worked there for a total of four and a half hours. Um, Cam Edwards actually kind of fell in line with me there. He said his worst job was working for Hardee's years ago. And I knew then I was not cut out for food service, but they were making me, as I would make the ice cream cones, I'd have to weigh each one individually. And if they didn't weigh the exact amount, they wanted me to dump it back in and start over. So I didn't last long there. And I have worked in warehouses. I also sold sold Kirby's when I was in college, which was a totally different experience. Um, I was certainly not what they expected whenever they had the person coming to, quote, clean their carpet for free. Um, And I would show up and show my Kirby and sell it. And I I not only loved the product, I own one. So there you go. Sold myself. Um, Looking over the list here, I, I feel particular sympathy for Heather. Who says her first job was calling people to tell them that if they did not pay their electric bill, their power would be discontinued. <laughs> and I saw you'd ask, was it hard? You know, you know look, obviously, but she says, when she had to call people she went to church with, and she pointed out that she had to give her full name to follow, you know, uh, regulations and things like that. How, you know, uh, maybe you could do that with sympathy, but in the end, you're basically saying, yeah, yeah, you know, if you, uh, 
if we you still don't need to your... get it done. And we right. had another we had another listener that um, apparently his job was to repossess televisions. Oh. And he said it was horrible because he would show up and, of course, the kids would be crying and there were fights and whatnot. And his job was basically to get that television out of the house. Um, one of our listeners, and unfortunately I don't have it up in front of me right this second, one of our listeners, their first job was actually cleaning out stables. Oh. And, uh, and I, what I was fascinated by, how many of our listeners and so many people that participated in the Twitter game with us this week started out making less than $2 an hour. Mm, was this uh, tips positions or just uh, back in the, you know? When the, I middle- think it was back in the day. Um, one of our listeners was even paid to be a test student so that teachers could practice on them. Interesting. Yeah, I, I suppose, actually, in a way that could be challenging because you're, you're trying to look at things through the eyes of the average student, right? So you're, you're trying, you know, if you get it too well, you're not doing a good job. But if you're also particularly stupid, <laughs> you can't do the job particularly well either. Absolutely. And one of the things I want to share with our listeners this week is totally by coincidence, Forbes has also released America's Best Employees, the 2017 ranking. And number one on the list for the very first time is Costco. And they have knocked Google to number two. Mm. And we all know all the cool things that people at Google get to do, right? So Costco must be doing something right. I wouldn't doubt that. Look, say, it, it is interesting. The, the other interesting thing, when we talked about this last week as a possible Trivia Tuesday, I noticed people, like, people talk about how much they hated the jobs, but they almost talk about it with a certain fondness, right? Like they're all glad that they did them. They're also glad to be rid of them. Uh, but they kind of feel like that it's some like everybody has a really rough either first job or second job or early employment. Nobody starts out in the corner executive suite. No, you know, really, or very few people do things like that. Like having a, you can learn a lot both about yourself and how the world works from a really bad job. So you know, if everybody just got used to the idea that you're going to have a bad job for about at least a year in your life or a couple months and just deal with it, I think the world would be a better place. And, and kind of take the experience that comes along with that. And I think you're absolutely right. People look fondly back on these jobs, one, because they did them, and two, because they don't have to do them anymore. Hey, I got to hit free golf balls at the driving range as part of my super low pay package, and it ended up helping me walk on to my college golf team and make the team. So I became a collegiate athlete and a very good golfer because people hit golf balls at me like a target all day. Well, see, there you go, Dave. You got summer. a lot from that That's experience. Right. Although part of me kind of wants to see video. <laughs> I uh, wish I'm I'd sorry. had it back then. I wish I'd had it. <laughs> I'm just letting you know. And oh my goodness, guys, we are at the end of another hour. It goes by so quickly because I do enjoy my time with you all so very much. Um, but we are wrapping up here. So you can find this and every single episode at soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. Do look us up on Facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. Give us a like, hang out there, talk to us, um, see some of the articles that we post along with the episodes. And, of course, you can always find us on Twitter at Jim and Mickey. And you can find Jim at, at Jim Garrity. And I'm at Bias Girl. We are here every week with Big Dave Perkins. And you can find him at Big Dave P. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. And you've been listening to the one and only Jim and Mickey show. It went straight down the middle Then it started to hook just a wee wee bit And that's when my caddy lost sight of it That little white pellet has never been found to this day 
But it went straight down the middle Like they say Whack down the fairway It went smack down the fairway Then it started to slice just a smidge off line It headed for two, but it bounced off nine My caddy says, long as you're still in the state, you're okay Yes, it went straight down the middle quite a way The sun was 